Okay, my name is Greg. I'm the senior pastor at Woodland Hills Church. It's good to see all of you. You really look great. I just want to say, I, I, right this moment, I have just a, a love for you. I have a love for you. I, I just, just, God's love for you. I, I just wanted to tell you that because I love you. Uh, and I'm so glad that we, we can gather together and just uh, and worship God together and, and hear the word. Turn to the book of Luke. Luke. Chapter 2. Verse 36 through 39. That's right, man. Dude, you, you got to memorize. You, you probably all of us memorized. So we're, this is what we do at Woodland Hills. We just go through the Bible methodically, uh, verse by verse. Uh, and so in six months of studying Luke, we've gotten all the way up to chapter 2, verse 36. Um, and we've been hovering on these three verses for about six weeks. Uh, we're calling ourselves the Church of St. Anna for this series because we're focusing on this wonderful woman uh, named Anna. And we're seeing that she is sort of a microcosm of the kingdom of God. And we're, we're, we're using these passages as a sort of a launching pad to talk about some foundational aspects of this kingdom revolution that began with the, the birth of Jesus Christ and that all who believe are now a part of whether they know that or not. And so when looking at Anna, we've seen that it, she teaches us a lot about the important role of women in the kingdom of God and the important role of worship in the kingdom of God and the important role of solitude in the kingdom of God. And then the last several weeks that we've looked at Luke, we've been talking about prayer because Anna was a woman of prayer. And uh, so this is sort of a mini-series in the St. Anna series, which is part of the Luke series. Are you following me so far? Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, turn there. And I'm reading out the TNIV version. I want to entitle this message, by the way, Prayer is for Real. It'll probably be the last uh, series on, on the uh, last sermon on the series. Uh, she read the verse where two or three are gathered together. Uh, he, God's in the midst of them. And so prayer is for real. And it's a practical message about prayer. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She'd lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. He died. She became a widow until the age of 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day. Never left the temple for 60-plus years. Worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to Joseph and Mary, who were in the process of dedicating their child to the Lord, uh, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray for this message. Could I get some intercessors around the auditorium who will keep me covered in prayer? That this message would have all the power that God wants it to have. Need some in the back and then sides. Intercessors, intercessors. A few more, a few more over in this area. Uh, come, uh, oh, okay, there, we got it. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that your spirit surround this message, uh, surround every word, every uh, consonant and vowel that comes out of my mouth, Lord, and give it your authority to change us, to move us out of our comfort zones. And Lord, we confess we tend to be addicted to our comfort zones, but Lord, move us out. Shake us, transform us, and most of all, Lord, use this message to really sear into our hearts the importance, the dire urgency and the wonderful privilege and opportunity of being a prayer warrior. Lord, you said your, your house should be called a house of prayer, and we are that house. And so, Father, make us a house of prayer, a, pe a people who just put their trust in prayer before they put it in anything else, and who pray diligently and passionately and effectively. Let it be done in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen, 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 Amen. amen. A couple weeks ago, we talked about, uh, we started this series by talking about why prayer is important. And we just saw there basically that 
God, though he, God's omnipotent, all-powerful, but God has created a world in which he doesn't want to run things unilaterally, dictatorially, tyrannically, but rather wants to run the, the, the creation, at least this slice of the creation, in partnership with what the Bible calls his bride. He wants a bride who will sit on the throne with him and has genuine authority to, by agreeing with him in prayer and in other ways, carry out his will on earth as it is in heaven. He, he's created us with, uh, as free agents so that our love for him is genuine, not pre-programmed. And, and a, a central part of our decision-making is the decision to trust in the power of prayer, where we then have authority to unleash from heaven a divine influence in this world. Prayer isn't just a religious pro forma activity that changes us. It does change us, but it also changes the world. It impacts God and changes the world. And it's a matter of urgency that the people of God take that seriously. There, God has, has covenanted himself so strongly that this is true. There are things that he wants to have happen in this world that will not happen in this world unless the people of God uh, co-sign the check, as it were, and agree with him in prayer. Then his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And then two weeks ago, we took a break off for Easter, but two, the, week, the week before that, we asked the question, why is it that some prayer, maybe, maybe even in our experience, a lot of prayer doesn't seem to be answered? Or why does it seem to be answered so arbitrarily? You pray for two people, one gets healed and one doesn't. Why is that? And what we saw two weeks ago is that it's not just a matter of what God's wills, and it's not just a matter of your faith, though there are a lot of people out there who reduce everything down to those two variables. But what we saw was that the world is unfathomably complex, and it's caught in, in, a, in a state of war. A spiritual war is going on. And there's a multitude of variables that affect everything that comes to pass. So that we usually can't know exactly how and why prayer is answered the way it is answered. Uh, we can't answer that. We don't need to say that it must not have been God's will. And we don't need to say that, you that a person lacked faith. We just say we don't know. Because we're human beings with a very limited perspective and the world's a very complex place. What we do know, what we must know, what we must stand on is the promise that prayer is always powerful and effective, James 5.16. And it always leaves the world a more kingdomized place than before we prayed. It may not have the outcome that we were praying for right then and there, but it, it advances the kingdom of God in a person's life or in an institution's life or in a nation's life. So we're called not necessarily to understand all the mechanics of prayer, but to just be obedient in prayer. Now what I want to do here in the next half hour uh, is to get very, very practical to come down from the sort of ethereal realms of theological discourse where I like to dwell a lot and just really get to where the rubber hits the road. How do you pray? And that may seem like a too, too obvious of a question. Prayer is just talking to God. And on one level it is. But there are some biblical principles about how to pray that I think if we apply them will, 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 will cause us to pray more and pray more of effectively. The main problem that we face in prayer, I think, is that when you go to pray... Your mind gets distracted, right? Uh, or you go to pray, it just doesn't feel real. You go to pray, and it doesn't seem to have any, any, any results. It, it just feels kind of empty. And if you go to pray, and you start getting bored. Uh, at least that's my experience. And if you find that you're bored in prayer, or it doesn't feel real in prayer, or your mind tends to get distracted in prayer, you're not going to be praying a whole lot, which means you're not going to be the prayer warrior that God calls us to be. I want to just give three biblical principles which, if we apply them, I guarantee you will make your prayer life more alive, more real. Uh, you'll sense the presence of God more. Your prayer will have uh, more authority to it. 
I've shared these principles in other contexts and have had people respond later on. It revolutionized my prayer life. So listen very attentively to this. Some of the issues may seem rather small and trivial, but as a matter of fact, they make a monumental world of difference. Principle number one is simply this. If you want your prayer life to be real, you've got to be real in your prayer life. So principle number one is just pray the truth. Pray the truth. The word truth in the Bible is aletheia, and it means uncovered. And so what this principle is saying is this. Pray uncovered. Pray unveiled. Be honest with God. Be real with God. Don't conceal things. Don't, don't hide things. Let there be no pretense in your relationship with God. Now The Bible says that, uh, if, that to enter the kingdom of heaven, we have to become like little children. And one of the things that I think is important about that analogy, becoming like children, is that children tend to be less pretentious than adults. They haven't yet learned that in the world, if you want to get by, you've got to fake it. So they're very, very honest. So maybe we have something to learn by looking at some children's prayers. So uh, this, someone sent me these, and I think they're, they're, they're very informative. Here we go. Some kids' prayers. We should pray like this. Dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, but not with so much hair all over. Good prayer. That's good prayer. God, are you really invisible or is that just a trick? Lucy. Dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to really look like that or was it an accident? <laughs> Dear God, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in church. Uh, uh, is that okay? That's Neil. Or, or, I missed one here. Dan, go back. Dear God, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you got now? I vote for her to run the cosmos. <laughs> Dear God, I'm an American. What are you? <laughs> Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in my family, and I can never do it. <laughs> These are actual prayers that kids pray. Dear God, I love this one. Thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> can we do a trade-in deal here? Yeah. Dear God... Uh, uh, we read Thomas Edison made light, but in Sunday school they said that you did it, so I bet he stole your idea. <laughs> Dear God, I, uh, if, if you give me a genie lamp like Aladdin, I'll give you anything you want, except for my money and my chest set, of course. <laughs> Come more. Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp this year. <laughs> Either that or strike him with a lightning bolt, one of the two. And finally, dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill, e kill, kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works with my brother. That's good. Insight from children. There's an honesty there. There's just a, a, a non-pretentious honesty there. You just, whatever's real, you say it. That's how our prayer life needs to be. Uh, God wants your heart more than he wants your correct information. Here's a principle. The quality of any relationship is directly proportionate to the level of honesty in that relationship. The quality of a relationship can never outrun the level of honesty. A relationship's about communication, who you really are being communicated to another person. And so the quality of a relationship is directly proportionate to the level of honesty in that relationship. Uh, th th this, is, this is what bugs me about dating. Uh, I, I, I used to do it before I was married. Uh, um, <laughs> But I never got it because, because the purpose of dating is presumably to kind of find out a person that you want to be related to the rest of your life. But everything about dating really encourages the opposite of that. Uh, dating, you, you know, if you like somebody, you want them to like you back, so you put forth your, your best foot. You, you know, 
And some of it's natural. I think it's even biological. You know, peacocks, when they're attracted to somebody else, they put out their feathers and look at me. And animals have that kind of courting thing, the, you know, whatever it is. Uh, well, we, we're, we, we sort of do that. But, but a lot of it's sort of pretentious um, and, 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 and kind of artificial. And I never really got it. I, I would... Uh, the reason I'm married to my wife, among other reasons, is that she stuck with me. And despite my lack of dating skills, I was a Single people, I feel your pain. I, I would not want to be single for my life. There's so many rules, and, 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 you, you know, and they change all the time. Like, what are you supposed to do, and what are you supposed to say, and how? I never could get that. I'm just kind of dull in those areas. Shelly, she actually stayed with me after I took her to a romantic graveyard. I thought that was a, 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 a cool thing. <laughs> And I, I never was good at small talk. In graveyards, you kind of like can get deep and talk about death. And, and I, I didn't have a lot of dates after that, but Shelly stuck with me. So we're, we're married. Part of it, and, and Debbie's, Debbie's my sister's here, but I think I was damaged as a kid because I, when I was an adolescent, I had three older sisters. And you guys, you guys, they, they would be a terror in the house. I mean, crying, screaming, yelling, all bent out of shape. But as soon as a guy called, <laughs> or as soon as, as soon as someone came to the door, they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. And I used to think, I, I used to just, you know, think to myself, well, this damages the kid. I used to just think, you know, those poor suckers have no idea who my sisters really are. Uh, they're, they're, these are fish biting the bait here. But there's, some, there's an artificiality there. If the relationship's going to really get real, it's got to get real. At some point, you've got to get beyond the, hi, whatever. And that, that, that applies to a lot of our relationships. Come on. There's a lot of situations where we put on. We get nervous. The in-laws are coming over, maybe, or somebody, whatever. And, and, and there's this kind of artificiality. We, we don't put out you know, our, our real self, really. We hide the real self to put out kind of an artificial self. It can even happen in marriages. I'm going to break one of these microphones, I guarantee you, before the service is done. It even happens in some of our marriages. Uh, where there's, you kind of just settle into something that's not quite real. Some of you are thinking amen anyways. Uh, my wife and I, when we, when we got married for a variety of reasons, uh, early on, we just, it's too complex to go into, usually these things are, but, but, but the core of who I was and the core of who she was was really pretty much checked out of the marriage. And there's a lot of reasons around that, but we had a vacuum. We, we just couldn't find ways to get into each other's world. We discovered that we're wired opposite. We're just, our personalities are so, so different. And so there's this vacuum there. Um, but it became kind of too scary to notice that. It's kind of like the proverbial elephant in the middle of the room. And you learn how to do life sort of ignoring that. And when you have kids, it's pretty easy to do life ignoring that because there's so, many, so much busyness, you know? But as the kids got older the elephant became a little more visible. And about 10 years ago, we had, to, we had to get real. And it wasn't that our marriage was bad. In fact, it was pretty good. It just, the quality of the relationship was hurt because there was something that was unreal. We weren't being honest with this vacuum that we had. The fact that our, our souls weren't really interpenetrating. And so about 10 years ago, 9, 10 years ago, we just had to kind of start saying, do you notice something? And the other person said, I don't know, what are you noticing? Uh, maybe I'm noticing what you're noticing. I think you're noticing something. I don't, and it was scary. It's like, what, if we notice this, what are we going to do about it? And we ended up having sort of to name that and, and to say it out loud. And, and we went through about six months that were very, very painful, very, very scary. Uh, we, we, we shut the divorce door because we took a vow and we said, we're going to find a way to make this work. And it's in both of our self-interests since we're pretty much trapped in this marriage. Sometimes marriages feel like that. 
We can't get out, so we've got to find a way to make each other happy. Otherwise, we're both going to be miserable. And you work at it. And, and we, got, we started saying stuff to each other that we'd never said before. In some ways, the marriage looked a whole lot worse for a period of time than it looked before. But it was getting a whole lot better. And the reason is because we were getting real. We were getting honest. A reality isn't always pretty. In fact, often it's really, really ugly. But what we, we discovered was by being real, by being committed to being honest and, and, and getting our heart out there, we discovered, I'm here today to tell you, we discovered a dimension of love that we otherwise never would have dreamed of. I can't believe how much I love my wife and, and how we found ways uh, to get inside of each other's worlds as different as we are. And it's always a little bit of work, isn't it? But, but uh, the, the, the joy and the delight is there uh, because we got real with one another. It's exactly the same with our relationship with God. Sometimes we pray like we're dating God. Hi! Oh my God! Supreme being! It's so nice to talk to you. Only there, what we do is, it's not, you know, the fluffy, cute hair thing, but it's rather, God. Oh, supreme being on high who reigneth, thithery wither yonder mites. It is meet for us to gather. You know, and, and there's this artificial religiosity. It's not who we really are. And I'm not trying to indict that kind of... If, that, if, if, if you normally talk like that, bless you. But most of us don't. But it gives a sense of artificiality when we put on in prayer. Or sometimes, let's get honest here, sometimes there's stuff in our life that God wants to talk about and we don't want to talk about. It's the elephant in the middle of the room. But we don't want to deal with that because if we deal with it, he might want it to go and maybe we don't want it to go. And so we pray around issues, don't we? We go to God in prayer, and we're busy interceding on, on behalf of the missionaries, on behalf of the youth, on behalf of our neighbor, and God's saying, oh, that's wonderful prayer, but, you know, could we, Greg, could I talk about this? Oh, yes, God, and what about, uh, we pray for the president, and we pray for the leadership of the church, and we pray for our youth ministry. Greg, can we talk about this thing here? Uh, there's an attitude I want to address in you. Oh, God, but will you just move and send a revival, hallelujah, and, and be working in marriage and whatever. And we pray around issues. And the things we pray about are really good, but sometimes there's stuff in our life that we've got, and we just don't want to give up on it, and so we hide it. Now, look, at here's what I would say. It may be that right now you, you don't want to get real with the attitude or the behavior or the relationship or whatever it might be. Something in your life that you probably know on some level shouldn't be there. Um, be, be real with that. Look, at God knows it anyways, so you might as well come clean and just say, God, here's where I'm at. I got this thing in my life, and I don't think you really, I don't, don't want to hear what you think about it because I think I know what you think about it, but I don't want to give this up. Say that if that's what's real. But then say one other thing, and that is this. It's the prayer of David. Change my heart, O oh God. Maybe you're saying, I can't imagine doing life without this. It seems too painful. But God, I'm open to you changing my heart, so I don't want it so much. You see, when you keep the lines of communication open, you, you, you keep open the, the, the dialogue that can begin to change who you are. It changes your attitude. It can begin to change your behaviors. But if you're playing the pretentious game, the artificial game, then you don't give God a chance to move in and deal with who you are. If there's unreality in your life, it may be that's because you're not being real. If there's unreality in your prayer life, it may be because you're not being real in your prayer life. Even when you're angry at God. Sometimes we stuff stuff. We, you know, we're, we're mad and whatever, but we do the high religious thing because we're afraid that God's going to get mad or, or what have you. Look, at some of the best prayers in the Bible are prayers that are completely theologically inaccurate and they come out of very angry hearts. But they reflect the, honest, the honesty of, 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 of a person at that time. Jeremiah, great man of God, one of the heroes of the Bible. Here's a prayer he prayed one time in Jeremiah 20. 
Oh, Lord, you deceived me. You're a deceiver. That's who you are. You deceived me, and I was deceived because you're God, and I can't resist you. So congratulations, you deceived me. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me, and it's your fault. Now, is that theologically accurate? No. But it's where Jeremiah was. He was going through a hard time. And, and, and this is what was real. And God didn't go, he's not some prissy deity who gets offended really easily. He's like, I can't believe what he, I, Gabriel, did you hear what he just said? I am just, give me a thunderbolt. We got to take care of this thing right now. <laughs> That's not what God does. God, see, God wants the real you. He's looking at Jeremiah and he says, man, that, 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 he's all messed up. That, that, that prayer is really wrong. But man, it's genuine. It's authentic. Let's put it in the word of God. Uh, you know, that, that, that's positively inspired. And so we have here the, the, the reflection of Jeremiah's heart. The one who gets the award for honest, raw, and theologically inaccurate prayers is Job. Here's what Job prays one point. He's going through this tough thing, and he says, God, your hands fashioned and made me, and now you turn and destroy me. He's implying there that you, know, you, you create me just so you can have fun with me, torture me, don't you? Uh, and, and now you turn and destroy me. Bold as a lion, you hunt me. You're a roaring lion seeking whom, whom he may devour. The Bible says that's Satan. Job right now is saying, oh, that's God. He's bold as a lion, hunting me like a prey. You repeat your exploits against me. Let me alone. I love this. <laughs> Ever prayed this prayer? Will you just get off my back, God? Let me alone that I might find a little comfort. You've turned cruel to me. And with the might of your hand, you persecute me. Is that theologically accurate? No. The guy's all messed up. But God loves the honesty of this prayer. It's another one he says, oh, you know what, let's put that in the Bible. Because that just reflects, that, that, that reflects an honest heart. You know, sometimes in a marriage, uh, the best thing that can happen is for you to have some real knockdown arguments. Just finally start saying stuff that is real. This is what Job's doing. It reflects the authenticity of a relationship when he's arguing with God. And when God shows up at the end of the book of Job, he puts Job in his place. But he's really angry at Job's friends. And he says this in chapter 42, verse 7, I think it is. He says, you guys, you guys didn't speak about me what is straight. The word, the word is, is, is kun in Hebrew. You didn't speak about what, me, what was straight the way Job did. Now, he's not saying what Job said was accurate. In fact, Job himself repents of it. But he is saying Job was honest. He was gutsy. He spoke from his heart. You guys, in indicting him, you're speaking artificial stuff. You weren't speaking, you're speaking what was convenient to you, uh, to you, but Job was speaking from his heart. And this is the principle of prayer. When you go to God, don't, don't put on a religious self. Don't put on religious verbiage. Just be real. Just be real. If you're happy, be happy. If you're sad, be sad. If you're angry, be angry. If you're confused, be confused. But keep the lines of communication open. Just talk to God the, the way you really are. With all of your ugly spots, with all the rebellious spots, the parts that you don't even want to change, put it on the table. And now you'll give God a chance to begin to move and change who you are. So the first point in having a real prayer life is to be real. Second point, and this will strike some of us as being a little bit peculiar perhaps if you're not used to this, but it's this. This seems like a minor point, but it's very major. Pray out loud. Pray out loud. I'm not saying that silent prayers are wrong. I am saying that verbalized prayer is powerful. And the biblical precedent is that prayer is always prayed with, uh, with our voice. One of the main reasons people feel distracted when they pray or unreal when they're praying or there's a lack of, of reality when they're praying or they're bored when they're praying is because they're praying in their mind. 
Biblically, prayer is verbalized with very few exceptions. The difference between meditation and prayer in the Bible is that one of the differences is that meditation is done just in your head. You meditate. You think about it. But prayer is communication, and communication in the Bible is always verbalized. Let's look at a couple passages in case you're wondering. Uh, Psalms chapter 5. In the morning, O Lord. And just a little free footnote here, I'll tell you. The Bible also emphasizes praying in the morning. It is the best time to seek God. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. David uses his voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expe expectation. David uses voice in prayer. God has surely listened and heard my voice. David used his voice in prayer. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. David is simply describing the way he prays. I fell face down, Ezekiel says, and cried in a loud voice. Ah, sovereign Lord. He's describing a private prayer. Even when he's praying alone, he, uh, he and others lift up their voice. Jesus on the cross cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my, my spirit. He could have just thought that in his head, but he cries out with a loud voice. That's a biblical pattern of prayer. Look at this interesting passage. 1 Samuel, uh, Hannah and Eli are sitting down having a nice supper with a little bit of wine. At some point, Hannah stands up to pray and says this. As Hannah kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. In fact, the next verse says, Eli says, how, long, how much more wine are you going to have? Woman? Well, here's my point. It was so unusual for Eli not to hear Anna praying, uh, Hannah praying that he thought she must be drunk. She was moving her lips, but every other time he's heard her pray, uh, a voice was heard. This time not, and that's why he thought he was drunk. It proves the point that from a biblical perspective, prayer is always verbalized. All communication, including communication with God, is verbalized. Finally, this one. I want us to really get this one down. Acts chapter 4. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. They got released from prison, and they reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them, that there was going to be a persecution of the church. When the congregation heard this, they raised their voices. Everyone say, raise their voices. They raised their voices together. Everyone say, together. In prayer to God. And they prayed, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And there Luke is simply describing either the way maybe Peter or another leader was leading them in prayer or maybe it was just kind of capturing the, the general tenet of their prayer. But I want us to see this. Everybody at the same time raised their voice in prayer. In fact, they were so loud, it says later on, that the walls shook. My point here is this, that, that prayer in Scripture is always verbalized. It comes out of your mouth. God, of course, knows your thoughts before you speak them. Psalms 139 says that. At the same time, there's a power in your speaking them that your thoughts don't have. And throughout the Bible, you'll find this incredibly strong emphasis on the importance of words. Words, when they go forward, they take on a reality. The reality of spoken words outruns the reality of our thoughts. That's why the Bible says, puts a big emphasis on guarding our words. God bless you. Guarding our words as well as our thoughts. James tells us that our, our tongue is like the rudder of a ship. The way you speak will determine the direction of your life. And yes, there's other factors as well, but this is a strong determining influence. 
If you begin to, on your own, verbalize your prayer, you talk to God the way you talk to any other person. Like Moses, he talked to God face-to-face as one uh, does a friend. The Bible says that. Talk to God as you would a friend. He's right there. You just talk to him and verbalize it. You'll find that there's a power and an authority uh, that your prayers otherwise wouldn't have. You'll find that your mind wanders less. You'll find that it feels more real. In fact, they've shown neurologically, neurological studies have shown that our brain registers words as more real than just thoughts. And it's because in ordinary conversation, we always use words, whereas thoughts seem one step removed from reality. And we know this in our own life, don't we? When you say something, it becomes more real to you. So for example, remember the first time you ever said to a person, I love you. Now you may have thought it for a long time, but somehow saying it, whoosh, it's real. Or how about, I forgive you. You maybe thought that, oh, I forgive him in my head. But when you go up and you say it, sometimes you get choked up. Because this is real. I forgive you. Or when you confront a difficult situation, it's good to think, I can do this. But if you say it, there's a power to your words. It's the same way in prayer. When you speak your prayer, you verbalize it. You, you bring more reality to it. You, you're, you're more invested in it. It's, it's, and you'll sense more of an authority, more of a presence of God, less distraction in your prayer life when you pray this way, and it's biblical to do so. Some of the best prayers we've ever had as a congregation have been when, when people have just spontaneously lift, lifted up their own voice. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had this prayer, and all of a sudden, people started verbalizing it on their own. Uh, there's, a, there's an extra power there, an authority that is there. And it doesn't mean you've got to verbalize it to the point where anyone next to you would hear it. Some people are a little bit inhibited by that. But, but just by virtue of the fact that you're verbalizing it, you're fitting into a biblical pattern of prayer. And there's a power there and authority there you wouldn't otherwise have. So I encourage you to be real with God and then to to verbalize your prayer. In fact, let me say this. I would encourage you, the Bible says to pray without ceasing. One of the main problems we we confront is that a lot of us have been conditioned to think of prayer as sort of an exception to our quote-unquote ordinary day. So you go about your ordinary day and then you have a separate time where now you're going to pray. And no wonder it feels kind of unreal because it's totally disjointed from the reality of your life. I encourage you to integrate prayer into your life. Just weave it into everything you do and to verbalize it throughout the day. When you're driving in the car, just be verbalized. Just talk to God. Wherever you go, when you go shopping, just be talking to God. Just be blessing people. Just, you know, it, it's, you, you go shopping sometimes and these days with cell phones, you'll often find people who are, who are they look like they're talking to themselves. This other day, I was at Target, and someone's out there, you know, just shopping, and they're talking. Yeah, John, I just think that, and at first you think they're nuts, but then you realize that they got a little thing in their ear, and they're talking to somebody. Nowadays, you can even have these phones where you can't even see, like, a microphone or something. It's, technology's getting crazy. But here they are talking to somebody, and because shopping doesn't take up all your brain, usually. I mean, you, know, you, can, you can multitask when you're looking for Cheerios or, or hairspray or whatever. So you talk to somebody else. Well, I, I want to submit, you guys, we need to, we need to have, have Jesus on the main line all the time. Keep, keep the, you ever remember that song? Jesus on the main line, tell him what you want. If you want the Holy Ghost, tell him what you want. Mm, if you want the Holy Ghost, Jesus on the main line, tell him what. Okay. Keep Jesus on the main line. Keep the line of communication open. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. That the, the good soldier stationed behind enemy-occupied lines, he doesn't get so involved in civilian affairs, he forgets to please his commanding officer. And what he's saying there is this, keep your walkie-talkie on. Be listening to God and be talking to God. Just sprinkle in a conversation with God in, in, in the, everywhere you go, everyone you see. And don't go out of your way to look nuts, you know, where you're saying it like in the middle of Target, oh, God, no, no don't do that. 
Well, you just be whispering prayers of blessing on people and just integrate your prayer life into everything you do. Make it, make it your new normal. Pray without ceasing. My wife and I, often we're just driving around in the car or whatever, and, and one of us will see something or will bring up a need or whatever, and we just say, Lord, we just bless that person, God. Just, you know, come around them. It doesn't have to be a long prayer, and it doesn't have to be a prayer that has any vows and thithers whatsoever. It's just an ordinary, Lord God, work in that person's life. Lord God, over there. And watch how the things of God become more real to you. Which leads to my third point. Quickly. Third point. Because I want to have a little bit of time to apply this as a congregation. Third point is this. Pray with faith. And what it is to pray with faith is that you pray with the eyes of your heart opened up. Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, Father, open up the eyes of their heart that they may see what is the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of Jesus Christ that passes all understanding. There's a spiritual seeing that is part of faith. A spiritual seeing that is part of faith. And to pray with faith means you see in a certain way. It says this in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. The word substance is hypostasis. It means substantial reality. Faith is the hypostasis of things hoped for, the elegkos of things unseen. Elegkos means evidence, or it could mean conviction. It could even mean certainty. It is the sense of conviction you get when you hold something as a substantial reality in your mind. Here's part of what it means to pray uh, with faith. You, you, you see something in your mind, and you're pressing towards it uh, to bring about a certain outcome. When you pray, there's something you believe that is God's will. You hold that vision. It's an internal vision, and you're pressing towards it in prayer. And holding it as an internal vision creates a sense of motivation. You get motivated because you're seeing it, and, and it pulls you along. Here's how I would paraphrase Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is an internal vision held as a substantial reality, hypostasis, that produces a certain conviction, elegkos, that moves you in a certain direction. Faith is an internal vision held as a substantial reality, hypostasis, put it back there, that produces a certain conviction, a leg cost, that moves you in a certain direction. We actually use faith like this all the time in our life. It's a life principle. According to your faith, be it unto you. That's not just about prayer and religious activity. That's a life principle that Jesus taught. So it's like this. In a couple of days, I'm going to be getting on a plane. I, as I think about that plane, I see it flying. I have faith it's going to fly. I hold that as a substantial reality. I maybe don't do this consciously, but on some level I'm doing this. And as I see this plane flying, it produces in me the evidence or the confidence of something I hope for, namely for it to fly uh, and not crash. And so I, I see the plane flying. It produces in me uh, a conviction which moves me in a certain direction, namely I get on the plane. I get on the plane. Now, if I was running a scenario where I saw a terrorist taking over this plane, if that's what I was believing, it would produce in me a fear that would move me in the opposite direction. I'd never get on this plane. Everything we do, or just about everything we do, we do on faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So to pray with faith simply means this. Intentionally hold as a substantial reality in your mind. Open the eyes of your heart. What we today would call our imagination. We sing that song, Imagine Me. There's the word image in there. I imagation is just your ability to see images. You hold a reality in your head and you're pushing towards it in prayer. You're just pushing like this in prayer. You know, it says in, in, in uh, Romans chapter 4 that Abraham was the father of the faithful, father of all who believed. And the reason it says in Romans 4 is that he believed God the God who calls those things that are not as though they were. The God who calls those things that are not as though they were. 
What faith is, is aligning your heart with God's heart, and you are now seeing things that are not as though they are. And to pray with faith, watch how this will energize your, your prayer life. Things come alive, they become real to you. Uh, you. You hold in your mind, it also applies to worship, hold in your mind what it is you're praying towards or who it is you're worshiping, and you're pressing towards it. You're pressing towards it. As, as, here's how it works with me, and, and God will lead you in the, your unique way of doing this. When I'm praying, when I'm praying, um, it's like uh, the other night I was at a prayer meeting. We are praying for Patrick Schauer, who's one of our children's pastors, and um, he was helping a friend out on a roof, and he fell off the roof and broke his back, and now he's in a wheelchair. So we have a prayer meeting. We're going to be praying for him. And what I, what I did when I prayed for him, and I encouraged others to do it, is this. I, as I'm praying, I represent the fact that I, it's true that the kingdom is coming. There's no wasted prayer. The kingdom is coming, and so I kind of see that as light coming down on him. Uh, that's how it happened this particular time. And then I, I, the, I believe it's God's will for him to get out of this wheelchair. So I'm pressing towards this. And I see it, and it produces in me a motivation. And prayer is about aligning your heart with God's will to bring God's will on earth as it is in heaven. So we're praying, Lord, touch his back. Lord, work in his legs. Lord, restore the use of his body. And we're just, it's like pushing a rock up a hill. We're, 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 we're co-ruling with God. That's what prayer is all about. You have the vision, and you press towards it. Now, faith is not psychological certainty about a particular outcome. The world's a complex place, and it's caught in war. I can't be psychologically certain that Patrick's going to get out of the wheelchair tonight. And in fact, he didn't get out of the wheelchair that night. But faith isn't about certainty about an outcome. Faith is about holding an internal uh, reality in your head and pushing towards it. I do know that Patrick is someday going to get out of that wheelchair. Uh, it may only be when Jesus returns. Amen. But I believe that God wants to manifest as much of the kingdom as possible here and now. So we're joining together and praying that he gets out of the wheelchair now. That's what prayer is all about. Uh, this weekend, my wife's been terribly sick. Oh, I just had this flu bug. It's really, really nasty. So uh, this morning, I was praying for her. And as I'm praying for her, I see the love of God coming on her, the power of God coming on her in my mind. And I'm verbalizing this, and I'm praying, Father, heal her. And then I see her getting out of the bed saying, Whoa, I feel a whole lot better. The headache's gone. The nausea's gone. And I, I see that, and I'm pressing towards it. That's the reality I think is God's will, and I'm, I'm, I'm just pushing in that direction. That's what prayer is all about. That's what prayer is all about. As you're going throughout the day, um, you know, it, you, you, as you're blessing people, let God represent that in your mind. Just so you know, you have a conviction that something real is taking place here. One of the main obstacles of prayer is that it doesn't, doesn't feel real. But if you can see the reality of what you're doing, it motivates you. It, 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 it inspires you to do more of it and to press in a certain direction. Praying for George Bush yesterday because we're called to pray for our leaders. And I'm praying that God gives them wisdom and yada, yada, yada. And as I'm doing that, I, I just sensed, I just saw, I, I had the, in the eyes of my heart, sort of the, the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing on him. His, his hair blew a little bit. And, and, and it, you know, it's just my way of knowing, okay, God... Whatever else happens, he's a little more kingdomized than he would have been if I didn't pray. You see? And, and, and when you get a sense of reality in your prayer life, you're motivated to do it more. You're motivated to do it longer. You're motivated to do it more passionately. And now you're becoming the prayer warrior that, that, that God has called us to be. When you're going throughout uh, the day and you just see someone on the sidewalk or someone in the market or someone outside your door or whatever, you just pray a little prayer of blessing. That's our one job in life. Father, bless that person. And if you see a need, you pray for the need. And then I always represent that sort of as like a uh, helicopter searchlight coming down on them. And I know this sounds really weird to some of you, but, but it's how I do it. It's, it's my way of representing reality. Uh, God really is moving there. And now I want to see it with the eyes of my heart. 
I, I, I don't physically often see the difference my prayer makes, but I do see it spiritually. And then I get very invested in doing it. Someone here might say, well, that's just your imagination. You see, we have in, in, our, in our culture kind of a concept that imagination means make-believe. But from a biblical perspective, that's what Paul means by the eyes of your heart. It's your ability to see images, and that taps you into spiritual realities. Uh, it, it doesn't take you away from truth. It takes you closer to truth. Think about this. Right now, let's say that I, uh, uh, I, I can look at you. Two scenarios. I look at you right now, and what I see is a bunch of people and four walls and a ceiling. Scenario number two is the scenario I had about a half hour ago as I was praying during the worship service. And I saw all of you, but I also saw the power of God uh, as, as like a, a fog, like a smoke screen, uh, you know, like the, the Shekinah glory coming down in the Old Testament. And, all those, and I saw like heavenly angels kind of circling here, joining us in worship. Now, 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 which of those perceptions was more accurate? Number one or number two? Number two. Because the reality is that the presence of God is here, and there are angels all over the place, and I, with the eyes of my heart, can see them. Really, if you look at the world with just physical eyes, you're looking at the world inaccurately. You're missing the main thing. But God has equipped believers to see in the spiritual realm. And so when you pray with faith, to have faith that God is here, to have faith that angels are present here, to have faith that your prayer is doing something, you see it in your mind's eye. And you press towards it. That's what prayer is, laboring in the spiritual realm to bring about God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And I, I, I assure you, if you consistently apply the principle of truth, be honest with God, the principle of verbalizing your prayer, and the pr principle of praying with faith as a substantial reality in your mind, it will revolutionize your prayer life. You're going to do more of it. You're going to enjoy it. You'll get something out of it. You'll, you'll, you'll have a, more of a sense of God's presence. If you sprinkle this into your life throughout the day, Oh, God will just become so real to you throughout the day. And now you're growing as a kingdom person. What do I want to do here? It's kind of crazy, but we got 10 minutes. I want us to apply this. We have a unique authority as kingdom people to align ourselves in prayer. So would you stand here? And I want to invite anyone who wants to. to uh, there's something about physical proximity. It, 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 it reflects unity. We're going to enter into this uh, song. The battle belongs to the Lord because do you know? You, you, I'm sure you know. That prayer is spiritual warfare. Every time you pray, it advances the kingdom of God and pushes back the kingdom of darkness, and there's resistance. So we're going to do warfare here for 10 minutes. And I want to invite, uh, as we're worshiping here, anyone who wants to, to come forward and gather around as close as you can right here. And then I'm going to lead us in a kingdom prayer and encourage you to lift up your voice. You don't have to do it in a way that anyone else would hear, but to verbalize uh, agreement with my prayer. So let's, let's worship the Lord and just come forward. Let's gather around here. Let's get a crowd. Come on down. Come on down.
an Acts 4 kind of prayer. Just in your own way, uh, verbalize what's on your heart. I'm going to lead us in, in a congregational prayer. You can verbalize agreement with me, but let's lift up our voices before the Most High God. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for calling us as kingdom people. Lord God, we thank you, God, that you've saved us, that you've redeemed us. You've washed us by the blood of the Lamb. you filled us with your spirit. We thank you for that, God. Lord God, you've given us abundant life, hallelujah, that we can dance with you, Lord God. Lord God, we thank you that you've given us a unique authority as kingdom people and the power of prayer to change the world. And Lord, we right now want to agree together in Jesus' name, uh, Lord God, to cash in that power and authority. We, Lord, we pray for right now for all the people in this congregation who are struggling in their marriages, in their marriages, Lord God. And we just pray that there be a release of your spirit to overwhelm those marriages, Lord God. Where there is hostility, let there be peace, Lord God. Hallelujah, Lord God. Where there is anger, Lord God, transform it into uh, forgiveness, Lord. Lord God, just tear it up. Where there are wounds, let there be healing, Lord God. Surround these families with your love. Surround them with your power, Lord God. Help them to have wisdom, Lord God, as they seek, Lord God, to make a marriage that works in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And we just come against the devil in Jesus' name who's always trying to rip parents apart and rip parents from their children. We rebuke him in Jesus' name. And we pray a hedge of protection around all the families of this church. Let it happen in Jesus' name. Let it be done, Lord, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, on behalf of the people, anyone here in this auditorium who's got a physical infirmity. And we pray, Lord God, that you would release power from heaven right now to heal them, to touch them, to restore them, to make them whole in every way, Lord God. Manifest your kingdom power, hallelujah, by sending forth your spirit. Let it happen, Lord, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. The power of darkness comes in like a flood. The battle belongs to the Lord. He'll raise up a standard, the power of his blood. The battle belongs to the Lord. We sing glory, honor, power, and strength to the Lord. Yes, Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you as kingdom people, Lord God. We, we intercede on behalf of our president and other leaders of our nation. And we pray, Lord God, that you would give them wisdom, wisdom to know the ways of peace. And we pray, Lord God, that there be a speedy end to war, Lord God, and that violence would be rooted out, Lord God, the, the senseless death, Lord God, and, and the, the waste of life, Lord God. Give them wisdom to know how to bring about peace. We pray blessing on our country and we pray blessing on all the countries that we relate to, Lord God. God bless the nations of the world, Lord God. Lord God, we intercede on their behalf, Lord. We pray for our children, Lord God. We pray that you'd open up their minds and hearts to receive your word and the gospel in a way that they can understand. And bless our children workers, Lord God. Just give them a sense of satisfaction as they do the children's ministry. And we pray for our young people, Lord God, as we're seeking direction on, on a youth pastor. Give us wisdom, Lord. And we pray that there be a fire that falls from heaven on behalf of all the youth of our church, that you'd raise up a mighty army that can reach the lost in our neighborhoods and around the Twin Cities, Lord God. Lord God, do a 
it, Lord. Be moving there. Send a fire. Raise them up in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray for the finances of all the people in this congregation. Hallelujah, Lord. We just pray that you'd bless them, Lord God. Bring prosperity to them, to each one of us, that we may be a blessing. Bless us that we may be a blessing. Expand the territory, Lord, that we can get behind more thoroughly the kingdom. And Lord God, be a blessing to the poor and those who are in need, Lord God. We pray blessing on all the businesses, Lord. Prosper the businesses, Lord God. Whatever financial ventures they're in, we just pray you give us wisdom to know how to steward your resources. In Jesus' name, let it be done. In Jesus' name, let it be done. We pray, Lord God, for those that we've sent out on the mission fields, short-term and long-term. We pray protection around them and blessing on them, Lord God. And we just pray, Lord God, that you would continue to bring revival in our midst. Send the fire in our midst. Give us wisdom in our midst, Lord God. Send your love in your midst. Let the power of the Holy Spirit come down in our midst. Let the rushing mighty wind come down in our midst. Have your way, Lord God. Have your way, Lord God. Move in our midst, Lord God. Save the lost, Lord God. Heal the sick, Lord God. Hallelujah. Bring us to our knees as we seek your face. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. The enemy presses in heart. Do not fear. Hallelujah. The battle belongs to the Lord. Amen. Sing it out. Take courage, my friends. Your redemption Yes, it is. Yes, it is. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing glory. authority that we have as kingdom people when we verbalize, when we see what we're praying for. Praise God. Praise God. I encourage you to apply this uh, in your own life, to become that prayer warrior, verbalizing your prayer, talking to God. He's always with you right there. Just talk to him all day long and, 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 and pray with your, the, heart, the, the eyes of your heart opened up. There's such authority in this. I know that if you've never been in something like this, this is probably really strange to you. It sounds spooky, all these people praying at the same time. But I assure you, it's very, very biblical, and there's a reason why God encourages us to do it. So let God just move you out of your comfort zone, praise God. If you're here this morning, if you're here this morning, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never committed your life to Christ, or at least right now your life isn't committed to Him, I encourage you as we're dismissed up here to my right and your left, there'll be a person at this table who would love to explain to you what's involved in that, to begin your walk, your walk with God. 
If you want to stay up here and pray some more, feel free to do that. Our prayer teams will come forward. If you want one-to-one prayer for any need whatsoever, they'll be happy to spend some time in prayer with you. So, so that's available. Fathers, we leave this place. We just pray that we would be your house of prayer. Oh, that we would be your house of prayer, Lord God. Give us faith, Lord. Give us faith. Give us internal vision, Lord. Help us, Lord God, to be people who pray without ceasing, who put our trust in the power of prayer more than in anything else. Praise God. As we go out of this place, use us to build your beautiful, Jesus-looking kingdom in every way, shape, and form. And all God's people said one more time. Amen. Amen. Go forth. Build a kingdom. Amen. Amen.